it's saved, but then it's not in your messages, so it's easy to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll because we have a <laughs> shit ton of questions. What? We're not going to be able to get through all of these, but we're going to give it a go. How many questions are there? I don't know. Probably like 80. A lot, a lot. Holy shit, you guys ask a lot of questions. <laughs> That's a good thing. We're excited that this has been such a popular video series that you guys want to keep hearing from us. So, Jordan Grass, how do you teach your dogs to quarter a field at the distances you want? Great question. So a couple things that we do. First of all, we teach the dogs to come back when we call via collar conditioning. And then um, the other side of that's going to be some dogs genetically are going to have a predisposition to run further distances than others. Aside from that conditioning, we would say you've reached the maximum distance we want you to use the collar. Typically vibrate is a great way to turn them and bring them back. And with enough reps, if you've got a dog that wants to run further than you want them to, you can condition them to stay closer. Now, as far as quartering a field, we don't put a lot of emphasis on that. I know. We don't like to Shocker. overhandle um, in the field. A, it's very tedious when you're trying to actually hunt and enjoy yourself out there to constantly be like trying to get your dog to turn in this direction and then yep. turn in that direction, as well as these dogs have incredible noses and the more experience they get, the better they're going to get at using that nose. In fact, the most powerful tool that we have in the field to find birds is that dog's nose. Yes. So we let them use their nose to find birds. Great question. Next question, also from Facebook, from Edgar Rodriguez. What is a good e-collar or a vibrating collar? So we actually use DT Systems collars, which both use stimulation and vibrate on most of their collars. Uh, the one that we use when we're training is their 1820 system, DT Systems H20 1820. It is a really good collar. The transmitter is rechargeable. The collar boxes are rechargeable. You can add up to three dogs. Um, and it's got vibrate stimulation and a momentary stimulation function. Um, another really good all-around collar is their MR1100 series collar, which the transmitter actually takes a 9-volt battery. We'll throw a 9-volt rechargeable battery in there. Um, and then the collar itself is still rechargeable. Again, can add up to three dogs. Simple collar to use, has 16 levels of stimulation, vibrate, and then also momentary stimulation. So Almost every single collar DT makes has vibrate and stimulation. Check them out at standingstonekennels.com. Derek... Zecker, is it okay to use low level of stim if your collar doesn't have vibrate? Get a collar with vibrate. Yes, you can use low levels of stim. Some dogs respond better to stimulation versus vibrate, but um, we utilize yes. vibrate as much as possible. And some dogs respond better to vibrate than stimulation low levels, especially when you're starting that conditioning process and just yeah. getting them used to wearing the collar. So um, what I want you to do when you're watching this, comment down below what collar you actually have and we can talk more about if that collar is really a good option or not. So throw that in the comments below. Next question from Instagram. Just bird dogging it up. I like it. Uh, <laughs> where do you buy your hunting apparel from? Well, we... The internet. <laughs> the interwebs. The Actually, interwebs. we have a video on our YouTube channel. I'm sure yep. that we can put a link in the description below talking about the apparel that or we here. like to use. Yeah, somewhere. It'll, be, it'll show up somewhere. <laughs> 
Some of the brands that we have really found that hold up are Orvis has really great upland clothing, as well as for men and women, which if you're a woman hunter out there, you know that finding upland hunting clothing can be tough. So I've really found that some of their upland apparel is nice. Um, I also wear Proas's upland pants um, and currently are using Keen more of their hiker boots, but we're in the field all the time, so a heavy, thick boot is going to be something that yeah. um, I don't want to wear all day. I don't like heavy boots. We've got another video on boots coming up too, but we'll stay tuned on that one. Next question. Je wait, 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 wait. Just Bird dogging it up doesn't get two questions this week. Next. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the comments below which Dremel we use. Texas underscore bird dog. My eight-month-old Brittany has pointed quail in launcher since she was four months old. When she was on wild blues and pheasants running birds, she turns into a flushing dog. Ah, she's been out about 20-plus time on these wild birds. I don't shoot if she doesn't point. Does she need to mature or need experience to study up? She does point wild bobs that hold but don't make noise like the blues. Okay, so I'm going to say right now, first of all, blues are a very difficult bird to point. I want to ask you the question, as well as pheasants. Pheasants are a very difficult bird to point. It, it both can be done. And again, another video coming out from our West, from my West Texas hunt. We shot some blue quail. Um, dogs pointed them. Rock and roll. Um, also, pheasants can be pointed. So we don't need any of the comments saying to argue with me on that. But I'm saying they're a harder bird to point. So if you have a young dog, she's going to struggle with. 20 plus times is a lot of hunting, but still, uh, how many actual opportunities did she have in that time period? I will say Bob Whites are going to be an easier bird to point typically. So give her some credit, give her some slack in that situation. The only thing that we need to talk about specifically with that is if you see her, smell the bird, speed up, flush the bird, that's a bad situation. If you just have birds that are flushing, um, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. If they're in range, shoot them. The more birds you get down in front of them, the better. So You can also reinforce um, woe and have that behavior become collar conditioned so you can um, get a lot of consistency that way as well. Yeah. Next. And actually, I'm going back to just bird dogging it up because I want to answer this question. What type of Dremel do you use for nails and where do you get your platform beds for place training? Hey. You can pick your questions. First of all, the Dremel that we use is the, uh, I don't know. 8050. 80-50. N-N. Yeah. I looked okay. this up the other day. <laughs> because we get that question asked a lot, it's actually not technically a pet nail grinder, but so it works it in the middle, really right? well. Just don't crank it up. But yeah, there. don't get it um, tuned up there really high. Platforms, you can get them on our website. They are climb platforms. So. All right. Don Smith. I have a four-year-old male English setter, great hunter, but when hunting with other dogs, he's very dominant on the retrieve and gets somewhat mean to the other dogs. What is the correction for this and when it's happening? All right, we're going to need some more information on this. Mean to the other dogs, meaning he's got the bird. They're trying to take it from him. He growls. He's stealing birds from other dogs, ripping them in half, or he's fighting other dogs for birds. We need clarification. So, um, Don Smith... Throw that in the comments below what exactly is happening so that we can help you better on this one. If you could give one training tip to someone with their first puppy, what would it be? This is from Munson Zachary on Instagram. 
So if I could give just one training tip to someone with their first puppy, I know just one, that's a tough one because there are so many things that are important, but I would stress socialization. Uh, socialization doesn't just mean, oh, my puppy plays with my kids and plays with my kids as friends. Right. It includes that, but it also includes getting used to other dogs, uh, used to new environments, going up and down stairs, different floors, running through thick grass. Anything that's new and a different experience for that puppy is really important for socialization, which is important for proper development. Dogs that are well socialized are much more mentally stable, which Absolutely. when it comes to needing to start more advanced levels of training, more formal training, you might have them dropped off at a boarding facility or a board and train facility. Your dog's going to adjust a lot better because they're used to new things. So. That would be my number one tip for... Socialization is preparing the dog for everything that they're needing to be ready for as an adult. You plan to hunt, plan to travel, prep them for all of those things. Next, Chet Cotton. Do you recommend purchasing insurance for major medical issues like a foreign body infection? This is a great question. You guys, if you follow our page, which I'm guessing um, I know Chet does, um, you're going to see some of the things that we've talked about in the past with our personal dogs and experiences. And I'll tell you that um, the problem with most insurances, look and find for a long time, we looked at those and they're not a lot of great options. Um, most of them have a $500 maximum per occurrence. There are some better ones out there, but they start to get pretty spendy and you have to outweigh whether or not just putting away the premium is a better idea because there's a ton of exclusions in a lot of them. So for example, if you're spending, let's say $10,000 on a giant surgery at a university, they're only gonna cover 500% or $500. 500%? They're gonna be writing you a check back, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, it's, 500 bucks. So, it depends on your plan, of course, on what their coverage is, but it's usually a certain dollar amount per occurrence and a major surgery like that, you're not, not gonna get complete coverage. Much. No, it's not typically much. So look at the, the coverage. If you go to our blog, um, we actually had a guest writer put an article in talking about different insurance plans and kind of some things to look for. Um, that would be a good resource, but the biggest thing is gonna be read the fine print. Um, most of insurance companies are out to make money. If you have multiple dogs, it gets really expensive fast. Which is why we truly don't have specific insurance set up for our dogs. We've got another plan set up for that. So decide for yourself whether or not putting the money away for a premium or paying the premium is going to be more beneficial for you. I would say we personally do not carry medical insurance on our dogs. So many good questions this week. Make sure that you ask them again next week if we didn't get to some of them because we really got so many questions, which is awesome. And I hate that we don't get to answer we them. Counted all. over 80 yeah. before we started today. From Chris Lynn12 on Instagram, how do you get your dogs to stop jumping and counter surfing? Uh, we actually talked about this in our last Yawa video. Um, but just a quick recap, 
Place training, place training. Place training is a huge part of managing some of those behaviors. If your dog's on a dog bed, they can't be counter surfing. Second of all, don't video it. If it happens, correct it when it happens so that um, timing is perfect and important so that you make the correction when the behavior that isn't wanted happens. Um, and then ultimately you can make the counter an uncomfortable place, whether that's utilizing an e-collar properly or setting something up like mouse traps on the counter because that timing is going to be perfect. Your dog jumps up, sets up a mouse trap, startles themselves and goes, Ooh, I don't want to do that again. Um, and just makes the counter not an enjoyable place to be. And typically startles themselves. Mousetraps are awesome. They snap. They usually, I would say most of the time, do not even snap the dog. It just startles them. So Yes. Alvin Gold. We have a one-year-old GSP. Is excessive shedding normal? GSPs shed. I will tell you that... Uh, we sweep up quite a bit of dog hair. But yeah. we also have a lot of dogs. Now, if there's an excessive amount of shedding. What is excessive shedding? Things that you can evaluate is what type of dog food they're on, um, how many baths they're getting, time of year. So it yeah. just truly depends on what exactly is going on. And if you think that it's way more shedding than should be happening, you can make some adjustments somewhere and see yeah. if that helps. So Alan, throw it in the comments below. Give us a little more information about that so that we can help you better. Next. From Jay Berthissel 102. What's your opinion on beeping, tracking collars? Do they scare wild birds? No. No. Our dogs run with beeper collars all hunting season long. Never flushes a bird, scares a bird. Dogs sometimes will overpressure birds and that's what actually will push them up. But a dog that locks up solid on point, their beeper starts going off, birds are still there, we go in and flush them, so doesn't cause a problem for us. Andrew Haddock on Facebook. What do you do different in training for sensitive slash timid personalities? Okay, so I'm gonna tell you, um, short answer is we do nothing different. Our plan is to work with dogs on their speed and their level. And when we use pressure or collars or anything else, we use the lowest amount of pressure possible. So it's whatever that individual dog needs. So the process is the same. We teach with positive reinforcement. We use negative reinforcement to develop consistency or build consistency in a behavior that they already know. That process is exactly the same for a tough dog versus a timid dog. The biggest difference with the tough and the timid dogs are when you get to collar conditioning, usually the tough dog uses a little more collar. The timid dog or the softer dog uses a little less collar. The teaching part with positive reinforcement is all the same. Great question. Next question from Laura Bell, 22 on Instagram. I'm getting my first GSP puppy this summer. What is your best advice for me when training? Well, I'll refer back to our other question. Socialization is hugely important, but because you didn't limit me to one thing, I'm also gonna say patience. Patience is your friend when it comes to any training with dogs, puppies, anything like that, um, because they're going to make mistakes and you need to be patient and be more of a mindset of you're wanting to help them um, meet these goals and not break them or force them into doing those things. So socialization and patience. Jen F. Matthews. Uh, will you do a clinic to work with people training their own dogs for NAVDA? I was disappointed it wasn't free to be available to come up for your with my pup, the one you held in September. Uh, yeah, 
I think we're gonna plan on doing anywhere between three and four seminars this year. If we can work them into the schedule, they will show up on social media, yes, on our newsletter, yes, and then you sign up on our online store. They'll be available as an item, so you can register you and your dog for a spot right there. Once they're available to sign up for, they will be there. Seth O'Neill from Instagram, most difficult thing about being pro dog trainers? I'm going to say the hardest part for me about being a pro dog trainer is when I have to tell somebody that their dog doesn't meet their expectations. It's a hard conversation to have, to say, you want to be here, your dog is struggling a little bit, and realistically, we're gonna be here. Not everyone's dog is an NFL player. Yeah, not every kid's gonna make the NBA or NFL or be a professional athlete. And the same thing happens with dogs. I mean, now granted, we're gonna take dogs to the highest level of their capabilities. And for the average person, rarely do we run into a dog that doesn't meet expectations. But if you have extremely high goals of testing and trialing and titles and all this stuff, and we go, it's gonna be more than what they can take. It's a hard conversation to have. So. Yes. Uh, the most difficult thing about being pro dog trainers is probably that our personal dogs get put on the back burner more often than we would like just because we are professionals that are getting paid to train other people's dogs. Therefore, those dogs become the priority. Our dogs sometimes get pushed to the back burner. Um, they still get plenty of out time and fun time, but training time sometimes gets a They're little the first remiss. Ones to, to miss training if it yeah. has to happen. So we still accomplish great things with our dogs, but sometimes it would be nice to have a little more time with them. Great question. Here's another Instagram question. At what age can I start using the easy lead with my puppy? If you don't know what an easy lead is, it's our lead that is available on our website uh, designed to help stop pulling in as short amount of time as 10 minutes. Um, you can watch some of the sessions where we actually take dogs from pulling wild banshees to uh, not pulling at all on our easy lead. So what age we recommend, usually when the dog is bold and confident, either on leash pulling a lot or confident running around the field. That age is typically five to six months for the average short hair and most hunting dogs in general, and five it, to six months. And I'm just gonna put a caveat in there. It does depend on your ultimate goals for your dog. Ethan and I make the assumption a lot of times that everybody's dog is a hunting dog. Is well, true. that's not always the case. You might just have a great adventure dog or family dog that is also a sporting breed or not a sporting breed. Um, and you're asking about that. And my recommendation would be if you've got a hunting dog, you're gonna wanna see, like Ethan was saying, a bold, confident, and independent search in the field where they're not looking to you constantly for direction and how they're supposed to be working that field because you're, like we talked about in a previous question, um, the most important tool and best tool that you have in the field is your dog's nose. Well, if they're constantly in this little 10 foot circle and looking to you for direction, they're not out actively hunting. And we wanna see that before we put so much emphasis on healing that they don't actually feel comfortable leaving our side um, even when we get into the field. UN Guided Fly. Can't find a video of the intro to gunfire on your YouTube channel? we'll put it in the description because we have multiple videos on gunfire and bird introductions. Sunnyside up underscore OKC. How do I start and implement calm expectations? Good question. Um, 
We like to say calm hands make a calm dog. So interacting with your puppy or dog calmly makes them think that they don't have to act like a wild hooligan to get your attention and get your affection. So if they're sitting or standing and not jumping up on you, calmly interacting with them. Dogs feed off of your energy really easily. So if you get all wild and ooh, 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 and so excited with them, that's what they're gonna do. Uh, think about it when you go to the vet and all of the vet techs act like idiots with your dogs. Yeah. Then your dog also acts like an idiot. So yeah. if you can try and interact with them calmly, um, that would help start implementing calm expectations. We also like to say um, anything that your dog's doing, they're conditioning themselves to. So if they jump up on you and you pet them, they're gonna think, oh, I jump up, I get petted. And they're gonna start conditioning themselves that that's how they think that they get attention or any behavior that they're repetitively doing. If it's something you don't want, nip that in the bud because otherwise they're gonna condition themselves to that. Um, As well as I would say, Develop behaviors in your dog you're gonna wanna see as an adult. We make excuses for puppies a lot of times. Oh, they're just a puppy, oh, they're just a puppy. And at two years old, you have a wild monster that's no longer a puppy, but you've made excuses for them and haven't developed proper behaviors. So if you don't want your adult dog jumping up and standing on the counters, shouldn't let your puppy do it. If you don't want your adult dog on the furniture, shouldn't let your puppy do it, things like that. But because you said it was a two-part question, here's part two. How do I get my pups to all stay quiet in their kennels when with other dogs? Again, might need a little clarification, but if I'm making an assumption, you've got other dogs maybe out and your dogs are being noisy, well, they just want to be part of the activity. And um, in the kennel, we deal with this situation. Yep, and in the kennel we deal with this a lot because other dogs have to watch training sessions. They want to be a part of it, especially these types of sporting breeds. They're very affectionate, very family-oriented. They want to be part of everything, so they don't want to watch. Um, So, yes, you can use bark collars to help with that, but also giving those dogs time and attention as well should help minimize the noise. I've got two more, and then we're going to call it. That's it for this time. So Jesse McCullough says, what kind of off-season training are you doing? This is a fourth thinker here, wanting to prepare for next season, and this season is just maybe at the end, depending on where you live. Uh, do you take notes during the season uh, to work on those mistakes made during hunting season? Uh, mental notes, that's a great question. My dog has just completed his first hunting season where we retrieved 32 birds. That's an awesome number. I worked all year on basic commands, retrieving, and patience. I think he's done very well for a rookie, but now what do we do? So um, I need some more information here. You said retrieve 32 birds. I'm assuming maybe a retriever duck hunting, but I know some duck seasons are still open. Um, The biggest thing is, yes, we do make notes, typically mental notes, um, but those kind of run pretty consistently. If I've got a young dog, I know after we finish hunting season, we're gonna move into some more formal stuff. If I've got a seasoned dog, again, I've already taught them everything, and so it's just refreshers. We go back to training situations and we have all of the expectations. So it would really depend on exactly where you're at with training. So please. And your ultimate goals. Like if you're planning on doing advanced levels of testing, off seasons when you start working on those goals. Um, But for example, Quest, she's a young dog. Yep. We finished hunting season. Next plan for her is to start formal retrieving work. Yes. she. That would be the only thing that I struggled with this year 
There were a few birds, like some of them get retrieved really well to hand, some of them get dropped just a little bit short, and that would be, we would say, that would be her weak point. That's what we need to be working on this season. She's backing, she's steady, she's doing all the other things awesome. She just needs a little bit of work to finish up that retrieving. So it's a great question. Please, uh, Jesse, throw in the comments below kind of a little more information so that we can help you with that. And the last but not least, Justin Carr. Group or private lessons available? Yes. We did kind of mention that, but it was mostly about the, the, the seminars, seminars yep. that we're doing. Um, we do also private or one-on-one training sessions. We call them consults, typically. Absolutely. All you got to do is reach out to us. Our phone numbers and contact information are on our website, standingstonekennels.com, and we will be happy to set up on your schedule a great time to work one-on-one with you and your dog. And just something else that you might be asking with that question is maybe you're talking about setting up a group type of event for a club or um, a dog training group that you work with and you want us to come out and do things with you at your location, we do that as well. If you're in Hawaii, we definitely do that. (laughs) We want to go to Hawaii really bad, so. (laughs) Hey guys, this is the end of You Ask, We Answered and we appreciate all of you for throwing comments and questions out there for us. We'll be doing this again next week. Please, if we didn't get to your questions, throw them back up there, and we will try next week to hit those out. Yeah, because it was an overwhelming number of questions, so. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat the dog trainer. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.